Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. Mysterious sounds from the depths of the ocean. A man who develops amazing new superpowers and abilities, unexplained new elements, and human flight on other planets. That's not crazy science fiction, it's just the run-of-the-mill everyday science stories for this week's episode of Lagrange Point. This week's City of Science is Darmstadt in Germany, which is quite near to Frankfurt. And the reason why we're talking about this is this home of a very exciting particle accelerator, uh, particle research lab, um, it's called the Helmsholtz Center for Heavy Iron Research, and it's been at the center of news for the discovery of Element 117, which we'll be talking about pretty soon. But Darmstadt is our city of science for this week, specifically because it officially holds the title of Wissenschaftsstadt, which translates from German to English as City of Science. So our city of science for this week is literally a city of science by countrywide decree, simply because of all the scientific institutions, universities, and high-tech companies that live there, including the European Space Operations Centre, as well as the, uh, the Holmesholt Centre for Heavy Iron Research. They've even also discovered a new element there previously, Darmstadium, atomic number 110. So this is, this is really like a killer city of science that I think has really set the high standard for the city of sciences to come. Lauren, have you ever looked at the periodic table and uh, wondered what the hell is going on at the, the bottom of it where there's all these weird numbers and like series and the table sort of has this box that comes out of it and nothing really makes sense? I know, I mean, most of the table, like the top part makes sense. I mean, you've got your like noble gases and things, but you've got this random box in the middle and what even is it? Is it a continuation of the middle part of it? And, it, and it's really, really confusing and interesting. When the p- periodic table was first established... Um, and which we have to thank. So Mendeleev um, sort of standardised the periodic table after a lot of work that had been done by various other scientists in about 1869. Um, and in that, they set up a, a system which is to do with electrons and valence, and that's roughly how we define it at the moment. But if you look at the table, there's this weird block. You know, you've got your, your columns in the middle with the metals. You've got the noble ga- the gas on the right-hand side, the, some of the other metals that you've been more familiar with on the left-hand side. And then at the bottom, there's this weird block full of the lanthanides and actinides and all other weird esoteric stuff. And that's, that's an area where we know that there should be elements. Like from understanding the way that we can combine things, we understand that there should be something there. We just haven't been able to isolate them or refine them. But Justin, aren't there some weird holes in the scientific table? Yeah, that's right. So um, elements beyond the atomic number 104, um, which is the atomic number is the count of the uh, the protons and neutrons inside a an electron uh, inside a atom, which is where we get the term from. Um, it's elements beyond with an atomic number beyond 104 are called super heavy elements, and they don't quite neatly fit into our table. But these are some of the the really where rarest ones for us to find. And slowly and surely over the last hundred years, we've been chipping away at these these the things that don't easily naturally occur in nature on their own we might find derivative forms of them we might find combined forms of them in alloys or molecules but it's actually often really find hard to find one of them in a pure and isolated form 
that's where some really hard-hitting research has come in. Um, and it's a very active, challenging area of, of chemistry. It's kind of like the frontier. So in physics, they have the Large Hadron Collider for trying to find the Higgs boson and all those mysterious particles, and all big telescopes to observe the stars. Chemists and uh, particle physicists have these massive accel particle accelerators to try and form new and crazy and exciting elements to get these and isolate these pure forms. And recently in Germany, in Dermstadt, they've actually isolated a new element, which is going to be element number 117. But Justin, okay, so it's called element 117. It's got to have a cool name, doesn't it? Well, it, it will. It surely will have a cool name. But the names for these elements are agreed by, obviously, uh, the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics and Chemistry, so like a naming body. Like You can't just say, this is going to be my element. You actually have to agree internationally that what's going to be called. So now that they've, what the researchers have done here in Darmstadt is they've actually managed to isolate it and get some pure samples of this element on its own. Um, and that means that they now can start to actually officially recognize it and give it a name. Now, as I mentioned previously in the City of Science, Darmstadt's actually found a heavy element before. Uh, and it got named Darmstadtian after where it was found. Um, so it is possible that it will receive a name like that or potentially a name that either honours either the scientists who discover it or another famous scientist. For example, Einsteinium wasn't actually discovered by Einstein, but it was named after him in, in his honour. So how did they actually um, find this element? Well, that's where these particle, massive particle accelerators come in. Um, particle accelerators aren't just used for smashing things together and um, creating these new uh, Higgs on discovery like, through massive amounts of energies. You can also actually use them to experiment with radioactive type elements and unstable type molecules to get it to decay into new elements. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, a star like the sun actually has a fusion process going on in it where it will create out of hydrogen heavier elements. So all the metal that we have in our bodies and around us today and everything else was created from stars fusing inside it. That's how we get them from. Because otherwise most of space is hydrogen and helium. And they're actually doing a similar process in these massive particle accelerators. But some of these really rare and unstable um, new elements are actually very unstable. They're, they're decaying and they decay really, really rapidly. So generally they have a life of about one hour to 11 hours before they decay into a, an, un, another known element. So you can make it, you can discover it and you can isolate it, but you actually have to, like, it's kind of like trying to catch water in your hands. You only have it for so long before it all runs away. But these researchers have managed to do this with element 117, working with many people from physics and chemistry background and massive en engineering background to sort of put together a really big uh, particle accelerator where they accelerated calcium ions to actually cause this to happen. And it's a really nice cutting edge piece of collaboration between lots of disciplines to extend the realm of our knowledge in the periodic table. Do you feel like you don't just quite get maths, that something in your brain is not wired just the right way to help you understand it? Well, Jason Padgett from Tacoma in Washington, in the United States, felt that way. He, he didn't really have maths, you know, as something that was really quite talented of. He was a furniture salesman living a relatively ordinary and normal life until he literally had a life-changing event and ever since then has had something happen inside his brain that is truly remarkable. So what's going on here, Lauren? 
So in 2002, Jason Padgett was, you know, walking home at night. He was actually leaving a karaoke bar when he was attacked by two men. Um, after this attack, he had a severe concussion and some post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, that, that, sounds, that sounds, you know, pretty normal after something as terrible and life-changing as that. Yes, but that's not all. It turns out these men actually gave him a superhuman power. So, well, at least something good came out of what is otherwise a horrible incident. What superpower did he get? Um, he actually turned into a mathematical genius. Uh, he can basically now see the Matrix or just see the world through, like, a lens of geometry. <laughs> that's incredible. So, what, what's actually going on here? So what I mean by a lens of geometry is that he's actually developed the ability to visualize complex mathematical objects and physics concepts just intuitively. Um, he describes it as seeing shapes and angles everywhere in real life, from, for example, a rainbow to fractals and water spiraling down a drain and things like that. that that's really interesting because a lot of people who are really good mathematicians, physicists, Nobel Prize winners, and they talk about being able to just to see the solution of the equations and having it make sense to them in a really visual and intuitive way that to you and I, who aren't as so inclined, um, maths, maths can often just seem like equations and numbers and words on a piece of paper, but to them it can be this real tangible thing that they can just grasp and play around with in a really almost a physical way. And what's really interesting is before this injury, Paget was actually just... He described himself as a jock, I guess. Um, <laughs> he, he only really knew basic algebra and he cheated a lot in high school to get through maths. So it's really surprising that he's actually developed these um, amazing math skills. And what turns out is he didn't actually realize that he developed these skills in the first place. Um, he was originally just drawing... So he started seeing, um, instead of circles, he would see overlapping triangles um, that would help make up a circle um, circumference. And he now realizes that those were um, helping find out, like, diameters of circles and things like that. So a physicist actually spotted him making these drawings one day and encouraged him to pursue some mathematical training so he could actually figure out what he was seeing. So now that he's had a bit of mathematical training, he can actually figure out that he's seeing all these mathematical um, images and physics concepts. That, that's phenomenal. So, he, so it sort of changed something in his mind where he suddenly now was understanding geometric concepts. You know, we're talking about the circumference of the triangles. That's like a, a calculation definition of pi, a way you can approximate it. And that's, that's, that kind of stuff's amazing, especially for someone who didn't really even know at first what he was seeing. So, so what could have caused this? So Barrett Brogard, who um, is a professor at the University of Miami, actually used an fMRI, which is a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, to understand how he acquired these new mathematical skills, which are actually called savant skills and have been observed in only about 15 to 25 other cases ever known. And it's a type of synesthesia that helps him perceive mathematical formulas as geometric figures. Yes, yeah, so synesthesia is like the, the phenomenon where you have one sense that sort of melds its way with into another sense. So often people might um, see a colour uh, as, a, as, a as a sound or a sense or a feeling in, in a lot of other forms. So that's, it's not just a, a simple thing. Um, synesthesia for him sort of manifests itself as mathematical things equating to sort of geometric shapes and understandings to him. 
So when they actually put him in this FMR, fMRI machine, um, they found out, they found out that there was um, they found out there was significant activity in the left parietal cortex and other parts of the left part of his brain. Yeah, and that's the part of the brain that generally scientists and neuroscientists have associated with mathematics and logical problem solving. So if something like this can happen in Paget's brain, what's it to stop it from happening in, for example, mine or yours, Justin's? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, he has unlocked certain parts of his brain. Um, so what scientists have been looking at is that they found that, you know, you can activate certain parts of your brain, either your left or your right, to increase the functions there. But, you know, it may come with some trade-offs. For example, in Paget's case, he developed some fairly severe post-traumatic stress disorder and obsessive-compulsive disorders. And that's sort of like the extension of these parts of his brain previously that weren't very active, but now being overactive. And the post-traumatic stress has obviously come from the very violent incident that resulted in this. And there's been similar cases, um, still only a very small number, about 10 to 25, um, but similar cases where people have had, you know, things getting lodged in their brain through horrible accidents and then it changing their personality or their capabilities completely. So it's a really fascinating part of science when you think about the way our brain works and what can cause it to change, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. I hope you've enjoyed finding out about some of the crazy boundaries of science that we're pushing, making science, fire, technology a reality, learning how to unlock parts of our brain, and understanding the depths of our ocean. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.